0: The early months of a baby's life consist of crucial neurodevelopmental windows that lay the groundwork for later outcomes. So we're on a mission to help parents and professionals look at development through a holistic lens. By creating homes that promote connection through play, we can make a huge difference in our little ones for years to come. As a little one transitions from toddlerhood to this three to five-year-old age range, there are some important play skills that they ideally are going to develop during this time as a way that they can exercise the parts of their brain that get them more ready for that school setting. The key thing with school and readiness for starting school has very little to do with learning numbers and letters and far more with giving our kids a strong foundation for social skills. This looks like expanding their mental frameworks, so more abstract thinking and learning how their actions influence reality, uh, as well as giving them opportunities to practice their language skills. Our role during this time is not so much teaching our child as it is encouraging them to explore concepts on their own and to really guide their curiosity and start to help them see patterns in the world around them. This is why I think the concept of the Montessori preschools is so great. This kind of free play setup allows kids the independence they need to explore, which is so critical, um, and also learn cause and effect skills, uh, interact with peers, and starting to try and initiate play or get someone to play with them, uh, teaching them the rules of a game and other things like that. Another critical piece is giving kids that environment where they're not so intensely controlled where they can have some freedom to try and sort through a problem on their own first whether that's figuring out how to operate a toy or feeling out how to resolve a conflict with a classmate, which they've probably never done before if they don't have siblings, or at least, you know, very limited capacity. This is also why it's really important at this age to give lots of opportunities for imaginative play that doesn't have too many boundaries on it. So like blocks, dress-up, assorted arts and crafts supplies, even simple dolls and figurines to encourage more of these pretend play schemas. We also talk about developmental parenting and how promoting this habit of encouraging curiosity in our kids throughout all of our home routines really sets them up for school readiness. With early encouragement from a nurturing parent to go out and explore and ask questions about how the world works, kids will gain the confidence that they need to continue branching out and to experiment with how things work in the world and eventually learning mental patterns that will carry over throughout their life. A child's most important teacher, as we always say, is their parent. So it's vital that we foster a spirit of curiosity in our kids by being curious about what they are doing and thinking and helping them to engage with these new encounters and revelations that they're having in order to help them make sense of the world in a meaningful way. The best thing that we can do for our kids is create in them a love for learning as this reaches infinitely further than simply teaching them to memorize information. And also, I do think it's important that we do not stifle all of the whys that we often see during this phase of development. It can be overwhelming to feel that as a parent, all you are doing all day long is explaining why questions. But this is also critical. And I found that I can turn this question sometimes and ask my child what do you think when they ask me why and that i think doesn't stifle it but does take away some of the the load of answering that question all day long so anyways we hope you like our episode today welcome to the doctor nurture podcast i'm your host dr macy bassler physical therapist and certified breastfeeding specialist I'm here again with my beautiful co host, Dr. Kaylee Archie, doctor of social work and licensed clinical social worker. And today we're going to kind of continue our conversations that we've been having about the different stages of development. And this week we are talking about the three to five year old age range. And um, Kaylee's going to go into Erickson's stages here and give us a an overview of kind of what we can expect to see with this age of development. And then we'll go into more of how we can support our kids through this age range.
1: Yeah. So uh, we are, like Maisie said, we're kind of continuing this and we went over stage one and stage two. So if you have not listened to those episodes, I encourage you to go back and listen to them. Um, I don't think you have to necessarily listen to them before you listen to this one. But it just kind of is helpful um, overall as you kind of flow through these stages, you see how they go together. So this one is stage three, and um, we're talking about stage three today, which is initiative versus guilt, and this is about preschool years to from three to five years old. And like I said, this is the third stage of psychodevelopment that Erickson talks about, and it takes place during those crucial years from three to five. And at this point in development, you know, you'll see kids start to exert. Uh, their power and, and control over the world. And a lot of times we see this through directing play. So they'll start to take like ownership of play. They'll start to like be interested in things and they'll start to try to gain some of that independence and through other social interactions. So children who are successful at this stage, they usually they'll feel capable, independent, and like they can lead others. But those who fail to acquire the skills they need sometimes will, will be left with A certain level of doubt, lack of initiative, like they don't take charge in things, Um, and this builds on the autonomy stage that we talked about previously, and it's strengthened by not only independence but also limit setting. So as we kind of go through this, you'll see that this is kind of like all these things. Um, There isn't a clear cut answer, but there it's kind of more of a balance. You can have like we believe that parents know their children, and so this is a balance. But I think if you Um, try to work alongside your children through this and you're intentional, you'll be able to figure out the balance you need between these, between this initiative and guilt in order to help them um, develop the skills and the social aspects and developmental aspects they need. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect and you're going to get it right every single time, but if you're, if you are trying your best, I do think you'll be able to do this, but like I said, like most stages, this is a balancing act between this initiative and guilt and learning and and then the children to be able to learn to initiate these activities and play and trying out leadership. Children are also trying to balance their independence by creating relationships with others. So we're getting more into social aspects that they need to develop in this certain stage. So The guilt side of it can develop as a result of interaction or conflict with other people. So, so for example, you have a child who feels guilty for not sharing a game with another child or sibling or for saying something mean or rude during a game to someone else. Guilt is hard to balance in this stage because it's important to work on with your child. But it can also be harmful if we if we focus on it too much and it kind of turns into shame because it can prevent independence and confidence so if children don't feel guilt though for you know if we don't remind them that those things are wrong and that they shouldn't do those things like if they're mean or rude or or they're doing some of these social things that aren't um you know they're being bossy that aren't acceptable, we want to bring that to their attention but we don't want to veer too far into shame and too far into guilt because Um, that can cause a lack of confidence. But if we don't have some sense of it and help our child build that, we see kids lack empathy. And I work with a lot of kids um, in this stage and older. I I work primarily with five to like 12 years old. And a lot of times I see the kids that I work with with behavioral issues, they struggle with empathy. And I think some of it has to do with this stage and that they may have never learned an appropriate amount of guilt. And so, and I also think it's because children are egocentric. You know, that's just the, that's just where they're at in life. Um, and we kind of talk about that at the other stages. It's about them and getting their needs met, and that's why it's our job as caregivers and professionals to help them feel safe and get those needs met. And but with that, they're a little egocentric. So I think that makes it hard for them. That's not a bad thing. That's just the stage they're in. But I think it makes it hard for them to understand how others feel outside of themselves because of that development. And so that's why it's important to help children develop this empathy um, as they start to engage in these social relationships and start to initiate play and start to initiate these social interactions with their peers. So one thing I always like to suggest to the parents I work with, uh, just a simple way to do this, is if your child, let's say your child is playing a game with their sibling They lose the game, they throw the game board, and they tell their sibling they hate them. You may have to, you may yourself, like we talked about, they're dysregulated. So the last thing we want to do as the caregiver is match their dysregulation. We want to try to be as self-regulated as possible. We talked about that in previous episodes, some tips on how to do that. So your goal there is to stay regulated and help your child de-escalate and regulate. Once they're regulated, that's the key is make sure they're regulated. And then reflect with them about that instance. So maybe reflect with them and ask um, about the situation, how they felt and how, how, if first I always start with, if your sibling would have done that to you, how would that have made you feel? And the child should be able to say, oh, that would have made me mad, sad, scared. And we're going to start with these really basic emotions. They aren't going to go, we're just going to start teaching them sad, mad, scared, and nervous, happy. Some of those basic ones at this stage. And they may say, you know, sad, mad. And then after you've asked them to reflect on how they would feel if it happened to them, then you redirect them. Well then how do you think your sibling felt when you said that to them? Because that's helping them develop that empathy and that's helping them think outside of themselves and their own feelings. because um, if you start with them then they'll start to bridge that gap of, oh, other people have these feelings too. And it's just, we think they should be able to understand that right off the bat, but kids just aren't developmentally there. Be like we've talked about if they don't have this sense of guilt or recognize that these things are wrong as they're developing socially. And so it's important. I think that's an easy way not to shame them, but to help them reflect on how that makes other people feel and have that healthy sense of guilt. Yeah. Do you have anything in common on that, Mason?
0: I was just going to say that it, it seems like so much of the stage of development is, you know, centered around exploration and, um, you know, just investigating their environment and feeling out like, like just learning that there is a world outside of themselves mm-hmm. and learning that, you know, other people have feelings too. The things that I do affect other people mm-hmm. um, and just really starting to tap into some of those Um, social aspects of learning um, which is you know just I feel like that's a really good description of all the things that you said so far Um, and it's interesting to think about that in the context of um, you know this is the age that kids go to preschool Mm -hmm. and how are we structuring our school setting to best support development you know is it hardcore focusing on letters and numbers all day or you know, facilitating cooperation, asking those questions with the kids. You know, how does that make so and so feel? What do you think about this? Just more like abstract thinking. Would you say that that's pretty accurate?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because really, we kind of have to set the stage for those things. You know, those social interactions, so that they can move higher. So we have to do make sure that we're structuring, you know, our classroom around it, our homes around it too. You know, that we are kind of meeting them on their level and not expecting them, like we've talked about the whole time, not expecting them to be farther along than they should be. And each child is different. It's all, it is, you you made a good point there. A lot of these stages is about exploration, but in different ways. Supports and scaffolding, scaffolding and So That's what we're kind of doing is figuring out with each of our children, what is helping them explore and develop these skills but what is also providing them with the supports they need to develop in a healthy way and that is a balance and a dance you do but i think um it's important that when you do it alongside them and kind of put yourself in your children's shoes and where they're at developmentally
0: yeah well do you have like a couple examples of like how we can encourage kids to you know practice those skills
1: yeah Yeah, so one thing I one thing that's big in this stage is initiating a game or initiating play. So, you know, allowing your child to be able to choose and carry out the game uh, gives them a sense of initiative and helps them feel more confident and secure in their abilities. Maybe giving them the choice in where you guys go eat for dinner. Um, Maybe giving them a choice. You know, helping them carry out or choose different little meals to make that's age appropriate. That you're there with them. You know, just helping them initiate. Some of these things um, on their own, and and also having a choice, um, you'll see. You also want to encourage them to not only just with you, um, but if they have siblings at home or friends, um, help them have the have those opportunities for initiation with their peers too. Um, and I think that's important too that you're with them as much as you can be with that too, because you can help them navigate how to um, treat others with respect and things like that. Like I was talking about earlier, that example with the sibling in the game, if you're there, I'm not saying you have to be there exactly with them, but like if you're there to help kind of navigate some of those harder times, that'll help them start to recognize um, some social aspects that they need in empathy building. So yeah, I think just letting them uh, initiate play and choose those things and then also do that with other people because that'll help them start to recognize kind of what they can control and what they can't control. And that um, other people matter and their feelings matter and their choices matter as much as theirs do. So, um, yeah, because they're learning how their actions impact the world around them and the people around them. That's what we want them to learn is how if they have good choices and good actions. There's going to be more positive results and rewards. If they have negative choices towards others or themselves, there'll, there'll be consequences. And all of those things impact the people in the world.
0: Yeah, in this stage, it's really important for kids to get the opportunity to do like more uh, pretend play, mm-hmm. like you mentioned some already, um, but not necessarily hitting it so hard with the um, strict, rigid structure and um, intense rules with play. But uh, pretend play is really important for like letting them work out a lot of like the social issues, you know, kid issues. Um, and just like thought processes and um and doing in the con doing that in the context of being around peers and um seeing how other kids respond to what they do. Um you know, say they're all like playing pretend restaurant or something. And like, oh whenever I do this, this makes my friend upset or they like this, you know, or the parent, you know, even if they're not like in the school setting. Um But yeah, that's just all a, pro- a part of the process and given um, opportunities for relaxed play is really important, I feel like. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think, uh, like you said, I think the, to keep in mind that it is okay for children to kind of have these fantastical tales or stories or imagine it, imaginative stories, and sometimes at this stage, that's where we we'll see imaginative um, friends, like you know, and they have imagination friends or whatever. Um, I think that's okay because they're trying to explore some of their own, um, like you said, social dilemmas, but also just their life, and and they're also starting to explore and learn the laws of nature and natural consequences. So. You know, for example, they can't fly no matter how much they want to fly. You know, it's important to foster that curiosity and exploration, but also help them realize uh, what are the laws of nature, like I said, and some natural consequences to kind of balance. Because we don't want them to get into magical thinking, you know, where they think things may just disappear.
0: Yeah, you mentioned that about the imaginary friend and like fantasies and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just wish I'd known more about this stage um several years ago we had a foster child and she very much was about the imaginary friend and with like like that was there was a lot of family drama Mm -hmm. and you know they have visitations and all this so it was all just like very much present in her mind like it was still an active thing that she was having to work through weekly after the visits and like I get kind of creeped out sometimes about the things that, you know, her imaginary friend would say right. and, you know, supposedly do. Yeah. It's just like kind of very unsettling yeah. to, you know, hear this five year old kid talking about her her friend sitting in the corner. It's just like right. oh gosh. But you know, knowing this, it's like a very real way that it's common for this age. To, to work things out in that way yeah um, it's just very very fascinating yeah and even if it is scary right <laughs> yeah
1: us. it is all, but and it's important it, to not stifle it I think yeah it, it's it's a, yeah we don't want to stifle it but we also like I said it's a balance like everything else but we don't want to stifle it but we also want to we don't want them to uh we, we still want them to be able to recognize between imagination and dishonesty so um get lost you know. yeah because like I said when we get into more of that magical thinking then you know they may think problems just go away or you know they can do things without having any impact you know on other people or they may assume and like you were saying Macy you would have known better now and we're all home, right and and Um, There is no shame or anything like, like I know my mom, she listened to our first podcast. She was like, I'm sorry, we didn't have more family dinners growing up. And I was like, mom, like the point of these podcasts are not to shame any parents in anything they've done in the past. Uh, I literally told her, I said, stop. Um, Because that's not the goal. I mean, she was kind of joking, but like, I don't want that to ever be the goal of our podcast we are not trying to shame or guilt any parent in what they've already done I believe every parent I've worked with a lot of families and parents I think every I love I like to believe that every parent just does the best with what they have and what they've been taught themselves and so this is not a place where we are telling you you've done things wrong or something this is just trying to better equip you for the future through education so I just think this helps us, though, learning these stages to kind of put ourselves in these kids' shoes and where they're at. Because, you know, we're adults now. We're far removed from being three to five years old or younger. And uh, we don't remember a lot of that anyway. And so it's hard for us to kind of grasp where they're at. But I think revisiting some of these things helps us realize, oh, a lot of this is normal. Yeah. Yeah. Something else, I was going to give another example, because I think it is important to encourage kids here in, um, what they can do and like allowing them to explore things like we've talked about, but also giving them tasks that makes them realize their choices. You know, they still have to do things and have responsibilities. Like for example, uh, we were at the campground the other night and, um, it was pouring the rain. We were with some friends and they had their kids and it was pouring rain. It was a muddy mess out there. And uh, all of the parents Had no, like, every one of them. Like, the kids would be like, Can we go play in the little ditch with a bunch of water and mud? And they all had pretty nice clothes on, and all the parents let them, like, let them go play in it, you know? And they were, what I saw there was, they probably didn't think it was a big deal, but what I saw was they were allowing them, like, was it going to be great them getting in their car later being muddy and like the camper later being muddy and wet and stuff? No, but they were allowing their kids to go and play and initiate play with each other because all of them are around that three to five age. And they're, like, in this development stage, exactly. And they were allowing them to initiate that play and go play. But, you know, when it was time, play time was over, uh, they had them, you know, clean up their things, change, clean up some of the messes they'd made in the camper. And so I think that's a good example to let kids play and allow them to have that. But also it's okay to ask them to clean up any mud they drag in the camper or any mess they make um, after their play or pick up their toys, because that's showing them that, um, there is a time obviously to have that independence and confidence that they can do that. But also we have responsibilities as well, um, as people, and that just helps them socially. You could also coach them, um, you know, later not to wear, you know, pick out maybe, Other clothes than like their really good clothes and help them wash themselves off. You know when they come, just teaching them some of that independence, but also allowing them to explore helps them set limits for themselves and not just us. You know because I've been around other parents who have been like, no, you cannot get that dirty. You know what I mean? That's like you need to stay right here and you can't. And they don't allow them to play. Um, And I just I just thought that was a really good example of what I've experienced in real life from some of our friends and they're actually, you know, like I said, they're in this stage of development with their kids. So um, I think that's a good way way to balance it.
0: Yeah. Just some reasonable rules and Mm -hmm. boundaries. I always think it's good to lift the um, normal limits from time to time. Mm -hmm. It's always a special thing for kids. And I think they get more out of it too, whenever it's a special
1: yeah because if we are overly structured and controlling over their social reactions and play activities we're going to limit their ability to initiate that on their own and to have we're also going to limit their ability to have confidence in themselves if we make them think and we do this sometimes subconsciously that they need us to structure everything that they need us to be in control of everything their play their social interactions what they wear what they eat like if they at this stage if we exert too much control and we touched on this in the last Uh, stage two they are not going to develop confidence or independence or even feel like they can initiate their own purpose and leadership in areas which is what we don't want our children to do you know Mm um yeah just just I don't know I mean what what do you think can you hear me
0: yeah Hang on a second. I'm going to
1: stop it. I think that something
0: else, too, just like from a um, school readiness standpoint, again, is that, you know, teachers nowadays, especially in like the preschool kindergarten stage, they talk about how the the whole television being present. So, so prevalent in the lives of kids now has really taken away from imaginative play because in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. they just hear them like scripting things that they've heard from television shows and things like that instead of like you know the good old-fashioned days where they were just like making up all these advanced social scenes and you know I've heard of kids like taking their baby dolls and setting things up like a courtroom to you know right convict somebody of some heinous crime (laughs) do you
1: have any experience with hearing kids with that issue it inhibits their ability to be creative I think and like you were saying imaginative and initiate their own play and and you can see how if we are taking some of that imagination and that initiation of play that is inhibiting them socially I think there needs to be time restraints on their screen time I'm not saying take it out totally um, but I think it's important that they Have those limitations on it. It goes back to setting limits in the real world, kind of like we're talking about. And I think as adults, and I challenge myself to this too, uh, we need to limit, you know, if we expect our children to limit their screen time, we have to limit our screen time too. And I'm preaching to the choir, I need to limit my own screen time. It is so easy after I've worked all day just to scroll mindlessly um, on Facebook or watch videos or whatever. And I know that that's probably not great for my time. And for me to do either. And so we know it's not good for kids. So I think just in the home in general, I would encourage parents, kids, older kids, set limits on your screen time, whatever that looks like for you, because especially children, because it can inhibit their imagination and their creativeness and their ability to engage and initiate their own play and social activities with others and I think it does as adults I think it in, it inhibits our social interactions as well and our ability to initiate those social interactions with other people so I think it's uh, definitely something that can affect all of us but especially in this stage of development when we're first developing these things
0: yeah and so just kind of real quick, do you want to go through, just kind of summarize again, the things that might pop up later in life if we don't give kids the opportunity to exert this control uh, in their environments in the way that you're talking about here?
1: Yeah. Um, so they, first of all, if we don't help them understand some of how their actions affect other people. And like I said, some of that healthy sense of guilt they they struggle with empathy and understanding how to think outside of themselves and understand how their actions have consequences or how they hurt other people and things like that if we don't help them reflect on that kind of like I mentioned before but like I said we want to be careful not to shift too far into guilt that we get to shame because if we get too far into too much guilt then we can get into where they don't lack confidence in themselves and so And they don't have kind of that independent or initiation within themselves. They kind of feel more scared and timid. So I would just encourage you, like I said, that practical tool of just reflection that I talked about earlier. I think that's a good, healthy balance of a good sense of guilt for your children. If We don't have if they can't, you know, have this critical step of initiating play and imagination then they won't know how to, like you were saying earlier, socially kind of work out situations and socially interact with others and just have that ability to explore their own brain and their own desires. If if, they don't, if we don't do this well with our children, you may see them not have a lot of self-confidence. You may see them be scared to do things. You may see them feel like they have to have you do everything for them because uh, they were in a rigid or too structured of environment that they couldn't explore on their own and um, they won't know what's real and what's not real. And and also they may just not be able to feel like they can think for themselves. And so we want our children to be able to have that confidence that they can do these things as they grow older and have empathy and be able to appropriately socially interact with their peers. I do a lot of empathy building in the work that I do with kids and helping families do that with their kids when they leave my sessions. Some of that has to do with COVID, but I do think um, some of it's because they miss this stage, kind of of development. So, do you have any other like thoughts? I mean, what do you think? Like, if kids don't hit this stage of development, like in your side of like the health continuum, what do you think you see in your work?
0: That's a good question. From a personal standpoint, knowing that my own daughter experienced significant trauma. Exactly during this phase of development, the issues that you have described that will come up as a result of that are, it's just like textbook crazy. I mean, I won't get into all of it, but yeah, it's just so crucial. Like we said, every stage just builds on the next and just missing out on very important developmental windows can have such a tremendous effect on on your kids down the road. So, um, you know, that's just one more reason why we want to educate parents on how they can best support their kids throughout development, because, you know, it impacts you way later on a lot more than you even think kids are resilient, but they're, they're also very malleable. They're very deeply affected by little things too.
1: Yeah. Um, I was also just, I mean, I meant to mention this before when you asked that question, um, if, one other thing you may see in this stage of development, if we kind of miss some of these marks, is if kids don't have, if they haven't developed a little bit of that sense of guilt and understanding empathy, you may see them try to control too much of the environment and exert too much power. And that's just because they haven't developed some of that empathy. So I just forgot to mention that. Maybe something you see. And like you were saying, Macy, kids are resilient and we just hope that this gives you the education if your kids are struggling with some of these things because they missed this stage of development that you kind of know where they're coming from so you know how to help them you know you can go back and try to work on these stages they missed with them you know it's okay to go back and kind of even if they're older than these stages going back trying to revisit these things to build that within them and that's what we really want to do we want to help you guys not feel bad about your past but move forward to a better future for sure
0: yeah. And when you say missing a stage of development, that can mean I mean, if I'm understanding this correctly, that can be like a, a yeah. variety of things. Um, like maybe yes. your parents went through a divorce at this stage or they yes. moved schools, moved towns, and you know, your friends were gone. It, you know, it can be your dog yes. died. It can be anything that, you know, they don't miss it, but it was Deeply impacted by something, and the way that they perceive the world during that time was very much shifted. I think that that's kind of what we're getting at here. Mm -hmm. And yeah, thank you for making that clarification. That was good. Yeah, actually, from a physical therapist perspective, I guess that I do have one little tidbit to add. Um, Really, (laughs) I did. I did used to work in the school some, so I saw a little bit of this age range. But um, whenever There is that lack in awareness for others. You will see kids that don't have any kind of awareness for other kids, obviously. And so that can really affect skills like playing ball, like throwing and catching a ball with a peer. Kids will just haul it in the other direction. And of course, to a typically developing child, it's highly irritating whenever, you know, you're supposed to be doing like a a group activity or whatever. Um, So really not so much the actual gross motor, fine motor deficit, but just like the um, impact that an issue with this stage can have on the social aspect of play is more of an issue,
1: I would say, at least, you know, Mm
0: -hmm. in the population that I've worked with in the past
1: yeah and also with that just problem solving skills too you know like you've ta- you've touched on that already with the magical thinking and stuff but or imaginative thinking just being able to they're pr- developing some starting to develop some problem solving skills in this stage too so uh and being able to work some of those things out like you mentioned with their peers and hopefully a safe context and the freedom to do so
0: yeah well, why don't we shift now and talk a little bit about, I've, I've hinted at it a couple of times, but school readiness, um, because obviously three yeah. to five is whenever kids will start preschool. I really feel like, you know, and especially based on all the things that you've just talked about, how crucial all of these um, social skills are for this age range, that school and all the presidents are um, counting counting way up high or you know knowing all of their colors i mean that's great whatever but really your kid knowing this earlier does not mean that they're gonna be better off later like everybody's gonna to catch up and it's gonna be you know the playing mm-hmm. field's gonna be leveled but what really is crucial during this this um age range is how they are able to learn enough about how their actions impact other people, how to get along with others, um, and just having this um, spirit of exploration and and gaining confidence through that. Having like we've talked about so so often with that secure attachment to a caregiver, having having that relationship is the foundation for a child feeling secure enough that they can confidently go out and engage with their environment and try new Mm -hmm. things, initiate play, initiate a conversation with a peer and try to engage them in a game and even just practicing language skills. um, All of these things are so important for early learning. I'm not a preschool teacher. It probably is really laid back. I know that they do a yeah. lot of really fun stuff most of the time, but I do think there's like an internet sensation um, in some circles, at least where it's just like not the rat race, but um, like a, look what my kid is doing already and mm-hmm. oh, they're so advanced. Yeah, so just kind of circling back to put the emphasis where it needs to be on these early years and just giving you permission as the parent to just let your kids still be a kid three four five years old like to be playing more than anything else there's a lot more to life than standardized tests but kids yeah. will have to spend a lifetime learning how to get along with other people
1: so anyways um I think parents though you know we think they put too much pressure on themselves like you were saying though which I think is what you were like to have their children know all the numbers before they get to preschool or know their letters or start or at least start or start reading or like you said reciting these different things and like you said that that's putting a lot of pressure on the kids and that's put a lot of pressure on the parents to feel like they have to meet these things before they get there Teachers don't really, I don't think they really expect them to know those things. I think their biggest expectation is, what you were talking about, is that they can hopefully interact with their peers. But like you said, I think our only only expectation really at this age should be some of this social play. And you can start some of those things. I think it's important to start that, to build that foundation of education, like we were talking about with letters and numbers. But that definitely shouldn't be the emphasis uh, our goal is to have them socially ready for school more than anything or or at least getting there yeah it's it's really
0: about just expanding their world mm-hmm. i think in like all these different areas i've been recently trained on in my work is like this whole concept of developmental parenting um, and it's like a heavily researched strategy for early childhood practitioners Um, is Lori Rogman and colleagues. There are a bunch of people who've worked on it over the years, but it's just training practitioners that are like in the homes, usually with families working with the kids, Um, but really just training parents in how to facilitate more conversations with their kids that support development. Um, and lots of these really come into play in that three to five year old age range. Um, and they have a whole bunch of things that they talk about that will um, help predict school readiness and and like none of them hint, hint are um, like teaching them letters or numbers or colors mm-hmm. or shapes or anything like that. but just a few of them are are concepts that we've talked about so often, um, which are, emotional warmth, uh, saying positive things to a child, supporting a child's choices, responding to a child's emotions, just having that spirit of responsiveness. And really a big one I think too is paying close attention to what your child is saying and doing whenever you're playing with them. Well, first of all, sitting down in the floor with them to play with them. It's huge. And looking them in the eyes without any other distraction. Responding to everything that they say, that is super critical too. Asking them questions about, well, why did, you know, if they're playing pretend, well, why is mommy putting the baby to bed or or whatever it is? Really engaging them in, you know, whatever kind of play that they're doing. Um, And then being enthusiastic about it too is huge. Um, Because, like we say, if it's a big deal to them, then it should be a big deal to us. And Mm -hmm. getting that positive feedback from a parent helps build that confidence to let them um, continue exploring and, you know, testing the waters and learning. Because that's really how you learn is just experimenting, just like parenthood, um, just one big experiment. I always say every new kid that we have is just the next experiment. (laughs) But, um, you know, in, You can also offer options to like help a child uh, solve a problem, help them work through it uh, without just like telling them, well, this is the way that you need to do it. Um, Planning things is good. You know, we do this this way because of XYZ, um, being overly controlling. Um, Also, this means. Waiting for a child's response whenever they, whenever you ask them something or say something to them, wait for them to respond. Don't just keep talking like 90 miles a minute because, you know, we can do that pretty often, pretty easily. Um, if your child is not very into an activity that you guys have selected, then pivot Change, change, adapt the activity to meet their needs, meet their interests. Um, it's not the end of the world if they don't have, like, the attention span of a grown-up. Um, and then, you know, some other things that I just think are really cool that they've really highlighted in this, um, you know, these guidelines for school readiness is, um, you know, I said speaking warmly but smiling at your child praising them whenever they do something that's good, um, you know, during play or whatever, or something they, that was insightful, or you can tell that they were really testing out a new concept, praising them for that, and then physical closeness to a child, like if you're reading books together, like let them sit on your lap and, you know, have your arms around them, because, you know, of course, that's your baby, you know. <laughs> These things seem so obvious, but yeah. honestly, they aren't always that straightforward to parents. Yeah, um, just some great concepts to. Um, I'll I'll link to this um um in the show notes, and you all can explore more of it. But guidelines uh, to go off of to just help us remember that there's a lot more to learning than just the actual content of textbooks.
1: Um, the teachers a lot and you know I'm sure when you're in the schools, you did too they could see the need you know and the emotional need and, and and Maslow's hierarchy where some of these kids don't have their basic needs met so it's hard for them to even learn because they don't have their basic needs met and like the teachers I've worked with they recognize that but they have to, like they have a job, you know, and they they have standards that they are being told they have to reach, you know what I mean, for their job. And so I feel like a lot of them feel conflicted between they see the emotional side of it, but also they have unrealistic standards sometimes for themselves, like educationally and to present the content, things like that. But what I will say is I do feel like we're going in the right direction. Like I feel like education is incorporating a lot more social emotional things than they ever did when we were in school. I know Um, I've seen a lot of growth in that and just growth in the awareness and and it's just aware, you know, they just didn't real, like, I just feel like people didn't realize or understand until there's more education out there about how that does impact uh, us later down the road and our ability to learn and our ability to thrive in environments if we have those basic social emotional skills. So I do think we're going in the right direction we definitely have a lot more work we all do you know to get done to keep yeah. advocating for our kids for sure
0: yeah teachers have to say that really this is not about the school at all this is about letting parents know that I'm facilitating these interactions and you know you don't have to be a rocket scientist or anything close to that even um really you see these common themes of responsiveness and and warmth and nurturing um coming up over and over again in every every in every stage as being um crucial to how a child learns and grows um because they are their source of um and your safe their safe harbor that they can leave from and venture out and explore and learn and then come back to and yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. You should be. It should be like a continuum, building off of each other. You know, mm-hmm. like between what they learn at school and what they learn at home, and kind of working as a unit. You know, parents being the primary driving force behind all those things. You know, because they are they're uh, to the kids. They're the most important thing. You know, and I know to the parents, their kids are the most important thing. And and sometimes though, it's just hard to navigate that. I know. And that's what we hope. And it's like. um the
0: bicycle analogy, where you know you say the child is sitting on the the seat of the bicycle, and the parent is the one steering you know, making so many decisions they're the primary influencer, and then we as professionals you know give some child development advice here and there mm-hmm. um but we don't know the child like the parent does. We mm-hmm. know about child development, but not, we don't know that child. Like that parent yeah. knows that child. Um, so, you know, we're considered more of like training wheels. Um, so anyways, that's just like a cute little analogy to. Yeah. I love that. Mind we think about development. Um It's time for the part of the show where we'll share a home hack. These are practical strategies that you, the parent, can put into place right now to optimize development within the context of your own home routines.
1: Okay, so my home hack for this week is something that I hope helps. I know right now I'm hearing a lot of parents and families, they're struggling with keeping structure in the summer because, you know, at school – And when parents are at work and things like that, like you guys have a pretty set routine Monday through Friday and pretty structured. Everybody does. And everybody does pretty well usually when things are structured. Um, But in the summer, it can be kind of crazy if everybody's at home or if parents are trying to figure things out and trying to keep some of that structure. And so something I thought that may be helpful to keep structure, but also to for this stage of development as well and other stages to create that play and help them initiate that play while providing a structure is I like to call them play centers. So if you guys know at school, uh, kids usually have centers and they love them because they can kind of go between different things. Usually there's different centers in the room and they'll have so much time at each center and then they'll go to the next one. Um, and so I would encourage you to allow your child to create what I call centers and have them rotate through them at a certain period of time. You don't have to be really rigid with that, but if your child works better, I mean, if they have a lot of behavioral issues or um, ADHD and stuff like that, they may do better on a more strict schedule. But um, So, for example, you may have one center where they have their dolls in one. You may have one center where um they can be on their tablet for a certain amount of time, but you're putting a time restraint on that, kind of like I talked about before. And then maybe another center could be they read, a, they start, or they look at a book, or they color. Another center could be they play outside on a trampoline, or just out in the yard, or with a ball. Um, another center could be you all play a game, a board game together. It's really whatever you guys are interested in. But there's different centers that you navigate, that you let them navigate through, and then you can jump in with them and help them. But you let them initiate what those centers are but you're providing that safeguarding space around it. That's some structure for them. I would encourage you, maybe one of the centers, if if they have siblings, doing something with their siblings because that can help them develop some of those social skills and um, always reflecting on feelings and things like that if something goes wrong. I think that's just a good thing to kind of keep some structure during the day.
0: I love it. That's a good one. My tip is... um... So how we talked about this age range is all about um, using functional language, practicing those language skills. Um, that's a big part of it anyways. Um, so one way that you can help them develop those language skills is to build on the things that they say to you. So if your child says, look, a dog, and you can say, look, a big brown fuzzy dog yeah you know that that is a terrible example um but you get what i'm saying yeah whatever whatever they say to you that they're noticing you can affirm it yes you know that is a dog that's a very big dog you know yeah um you can make it more advanced to suit the child's current language skills but just another way to like still um acknowledge their level of where they're being where they're at so you can still teach them new language without shooting them down you know yeah Um, just kind of working in more adjectives in there and you know you can even ask them reflective questions on you know if they say oh the dog is eating like what do you think that dog is eating or what do you think dogs like to eat you know yeah. do you think that dog is eating cheerios why not you know things like that that really kind of engage them deep more deeply yeah in just random parts of your day I do just want to add one more thing here uh, just to give some insight from a motor perspective so Getting early exposure and repetition with some common tasks like household chores, for example, is really ideal because that frequency and repetition really helps form those neural pathways to help them, you know, master a skill later in life. Uh, So one way that you can encourage motor development during this three to five-year-old stage is letting them help you some around the house with common chores, such as sweeping, cooking, Balancing a plate or a tray while walking. If you're doing dish cleanup, that's a perfect opportunity for that. This one actually is really important for school when they'll have a lunch tray that they need to walk with and balance and not let the food topple off and while still, you know, coordinating their footing. So it's also worth noting that so much of our neural patterns are founded on sensory connections. So as a parent, you can... Um, kind of help spur this along by bringing attention to patterns of sensory information. So, for example, bring it back to the animal analogies. But your kitty cat feels soft. Can you think of another animal that you think might be soft? Or even what do you think that smells like? And you can bring it back to the household chores thing even. You might let your little one help with chopping fruit for example, with a kid-friendly knife, and you could say, you chopped up all the strawberries. Do you think we need to chop up the applesauce? Well, why not? Just to help them kind of lay down those patterns and really expanding their mental frameworks in that way. So I just had to throw that one in there as well. We really hope that you enjoyed our episode today. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you for listening today. Subscribe to the show and leave us a review to help others find it so that they can learn more about how to raise healthy babies that turn into healthy adults. Visit NurtureHealthHome.com for our blog and to find more information about how booking an infant wellness consultation could help you and your little one bond better and meet developmental milestones. And you can also find us on the Instagram at NurtureHealthHome.